Welcome to the PCOS podcast. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, degree qualified nutritionist. This podcast is a place to help show you how to reduce your PCOS symptoms. Getting diagnosed with PCOS can be super confusing. It typically comes with very little information about what the condition actually is and how to manage it long-term. In this podcast, we cover the keys to understanding what PCOS is, the best approaches to improving your PCOS, and of course, how to reduce your PCOS symptoms through non-medication-based approaches. If you've been recently diagnosed with PCOS or you've had PCOS for a long time and you're wondering, what the heck do I do now and what do I need to do to reduce my symptoms, this podcast exists to show you exactly that. If you have PCOS and you want a strategic approach to help you lose weight, banish acne, stabilize your cycles, and reduce anxiety-inducing hair growth, then I would love to invite you to register for my free PCOS Masterclass. In this Masterclass, I'm going to be breaking down my exact process that I use when I'm helping clients like you reduce and resolve their PCOS symptoms without medication. To get access to the Masterclass, all you need to do is head to the link in the show notes, or you can access it directly by going to selendouglas.com forward slash webinar hyphen registration hyphen EG, or you'll find that link in the show notes below. Today's topic is a good one. We are talking all about PCOS and endometrial hyperplasia. Now, this is a really common complication, if you will, that often goes along with PCOS. And I'm going to explain why the conventional sort of treatment options for endometrial hyperplasia and how they work. And then, of course, what I look at in uh, reducing and alleviating something like endometrial hyperplasia from happening. So if you've had endometrial hyperplasia before, or this has been pointed out to you, then of course, this episode is going to be really, really interesting for you. Equally, if you haven't had this pointed out to you, but you've struggled with irregular cycles or irregular ovulation or no period at all, then this is also a topic that is super, super relevant for you. So we are going to dive into all of that in this episode. So let's start with what endometrial hyperplasia is. What does it actually mean? So in very simple terms to kind of break down that phrase, uh, of course, we're talking about the endometrial lining and then the hyperplasia is basically explaining that there's a thickening of the endometrial lining. So why does this happen in PCOS? And of course, it can happen in cases outside of PCOS, but it is very common in PCOS. And the first thing to understand is about what is causing this issue. So uh, we're talking about a thickening of the endometrial lining. And this will happen when we don't uh, make enough progesterone or we don't make it accurately. And this occurs because Progesterone does many things, but one of its actions is to actually thin the lining of the um, endometrium. And progesterone is produced after you ovulate. So if you don't ovulate, then you don't produce enough progesterone full stop. There's no question about it unless, of course, you're taking uh, synthetic progesterone from, say, the pill. 
Uh, so we, we can understand that in order to produce enough progesterone, we must ovulate if we're going to be producing that progesterone naturally. And one of the things that progesterone does is thin the lining out. So if we can reverse that and say, if we're having irregular cycles, if we're not ovulating, we are therefore not producing enough progesterone. And then we are therefore not able to adequately thin that lining out. Now, you might then think, well, why doesn't everyone who doesn't ovulate or why doesn't everyone who has PCOS not get this complication? And that also comes back to individual variants with estrogen levels as well, uh, as well as the fact that for some people with PCOS, they might not ovulate at all or some might ovulate infrequently. And that will also determine the likelihood of this uh, happening. So estrogen it does many things, of course, as well. It's not just isolated to this one function, but one of the things that it does is it thickens the lining. And this is supposed to happen. We want it to do that. The problem is when you have uh, when you're not ovulating, that estrogen becomes unopposed. So there's no uh, sort of antidote to that thickening. In a cycle where you're ovulating, you get this beautiful follicular phase where estrogen will peak, thicken that lining, and really it's doing that in preparation for potential implantation. I know everyone doesn't necessarily want to have a baby, but that's really why it's plumping up that lining. And equally, where we don't have enough estrogen, that is a problem as well because we're not going to have a lining that is thick enough for implantation. So we want that function to occur. In a ovulatory cycle, you'll ovulate and then that um, ovulation will start the luteal phase. And um, in that phase is where you're going to be producing majority, like 80% or more of your progesterone. And it's going to you know, oppose estrogen in a healthy cycle and sort of thin that lining and, and balance everything out. So when you're not ovulating, uh, then you don't have that kind of like yin and yang balance to estrogen. It becomes unopposed and it can really thicken that lining. That can be a problem for a lot of different um, reasons. A, we can end up with um, endometrial hyperplasia and when left sort of untreated, then this can really increase our risk of things like uh, endometrial cancers. So it's really, really important to address. And this is part of the reason why if you haven't had a period in a really long time, the doctor may often offer you something like the pill or even synthetic progesterone um, as a way to initiate a bleed so that you don't end up with this really thickened lining. So in Australia, at least the sort of standard of care is that we're having around two bleeds per year. Uh, and yeah, that's sort of the, the major risk factors around it. And then the symptom wise, what you can end up with if you have this endometrial hyperplasia is just really, really prolonged periods of bleeding. So you might have no period for ages and months and months, and then end up, you know, bleeding for three, four, five weeks, something like that. And that is because you haven't necessarily, you may have ovulated, but that's not necessarily the case but your body's essentially gotten to the point where it's like, oh, I've got this really thick lining, let's get rid of it. And you experience a really, really, really long bleed because there's a lot of lining there to shed. There's other reasons for prolonged bleeding as well, but this is one of the reasons when we do have that endometrial hyperplasia going on. So 
When we look at conventional treatment options, like say the pill or synthetic progestins, um, they work because they are essentially, uh, you know, they're obviously not the same as progesterone for many reasons, but they're mimicking the action that progesterone would have on that lining. So they thin it out. They allow you to then, of course, get a period when you stop taking it. And that is basically uh, how they can, um, you know, action this endometrial hyperplasia and reduce the thickening there. So when we look at, that's our kind of conventional treatment options. And then when we look at like what we would do from a natural health perspective, the answer is really simple and it is to get you ovulating again. Ovulating is important for so many different reasons, but it is very, very, very clearly the antidote to endometrial hyperplasia. And of course, I'm making it sound simple. Oh, we just get you ovulating again. And as many of you may have experienced from trialing different things, of course, uh, this can take a little bit of time. Uh, but it is absolutely possible with PCOS. And of course, in the PCOS pathway, one of the things that we're really focused on doing is getting that more in-depth testing to work out why you aren't ovulating and also to take that more nuanced view of your PCOS and check things like your estrogen and what is your risk of endometrial hyperplasia? And when you do get a period, what are we expecting that to be like? You know, if you have really high levels of estrogen, then we're going to want to inject some strategies to support that um, as we're working to get a period back as well to work on that estrogen, estrogen detoxification so that you don't end up getting you know, a really horrific period with really prolonged bleeding. Uh, and equally, if you're someone that has come to us with that constant bleeding, one of the things that we are sort of thinking about is, oh, you know, it is quite possible that even if it hasn't been sort of diagnosed or um, looked at yet, there is that possibility that this person has endometrial hyperplasia and that's one of the reasons that they might be experiencing that prolonged bleeding. So how do we get you ovulating again? Of course, there are so many different uh, possibilities as to why you're not ovulating. So I won't necessarily go into all of them because that could be a very long podcast and everyone is quite different. But the key areas that we look at in the PCOS pathway are uh, things like your insulin levels. We look at your um, what's called your gonadotropin. So LH, FSH, this is looking at brain signaling with the um, ovaries. And then we also look at things like your thyroid function, and then any nutrient deficiencies which can impact these systems. So things like zinc, um, iodine, inflammatory markers, these sorts of things as well. And it is typically very clear why someone is not ovulating. They might have really high levels of luteinizing hormone, or they might have really low levels of thyroid hormone and high antibodies, or they might have a combination of this different these different factors. But identifying these makes it much more obvious what we need to do about it. And if we can look at someone's levels, like say, for example, it, it, I'm just giving you some, some numbers here, but in an ideal scenario, let's say we would want someone's luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone both to be at six. And we do that testing, we find their follicle stimulating hormone to be six, but then we find their luteinizing hormone is like, you know, 20. And I've seen 
uh, variations that drastic before. In a scenario where that person uh, has been getting a bleed, let's say four times a year, then, and so that's, let's just say every 90 days, roughly, we're going to expect when we start addressing that luteinizing hormone that we're going to get improvements within the first sort of three months, uh, roughly. But if that person hasn't had a bleed in a year or more, for example, then it's probably going to take a little bit longer. So when we're looking at, um, identifying, and I've done an episode on this before, like how long is it going to take to see improvements in certain symptoms? It depends on the symptom and it also depends on individual severity. And that is something I identify through looking at the the severity of the test result itself and then also the severity of the symptom. And it's really like marrying those two up. Even for example, you know, if someone had an LH of 15 or an LH of 20, but the person with the um, LH of 20 was getting a cycle every 90 days and then the person with the LH of 15 had no period for a year, I'm still going to expect that 15 to take longer to improve because for that individual, it seems to be having more of a severe impact. So, of course, the numbers are really important, but it's also about how they're actually impacting that, impacting you as an individual because uh, we we respond differently to different amounts of hormones, right? Like that is just our kind of uh, unique biochemistry and makeup and overlaying the symptom severity and the severity of the test results gives us a good indication of how long we would expect to see improvements and changes in a particular result. So endometrial hyperplasia uh <laughs> It is a very common complication of PCOS, and I hope that this episode has helped to highlight why it happens, that it's not this kind of separate issue to PCOS, but there's actually a really clear reason why it happens, and it's a lack of progesterone production. And that progesterone production being low is secondary to uh, ovulation not happening regularly or not happening at all. So we must ovulate in order to produce progesterone, and that is why ovulation is such an important part of the menstrual cycle, the most important part, because if you're not ovulating, you don't produce adequate amounts of progesterone, and therefore you can really end up with complications like endometrial hyperplasia, among many other things, including mental health complications, sleep complications, weight complications, all the rest of it as well. So getting you ovulating becomes the key goal and it is absolutely possible. Uh, Of course, conventionally, the, the sort of standard approach is looking at progestins And whilst in some instances that might be the best thing as a uh, um, short-term sort of strategy, ultimately for your long-term health, the best strategy is what is going to get you ovulating again. And I can't tell you what that is unless I look at your test results. So I hope this episode has been helpful, short and sweet. If you know someone that has been struggling with endometrial hyperplasia and PCOS, feel free to send this episode to them because I love to get this information into more hands. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I love to hear from you and I love to hear that you're enjoying the show. Now, I know 
Many of you listen to the show. Our listening rates are definitely increasing of late. So I know many of you listen. And if you do, and if you find value in this show, please, please, please leave me a rating and review. It really, really helps the episodes, helps the show, and helps me to get this information into more hands. Thanks so much. Before you go, a quick reminder that any information discussed on the PCOS podcast is general in nature, does not take into account your personal health circumstances, and of course, does not replace medical advice.